Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. So we are still focused on Elijah today, and I believe this lesson from Elijah is gonna encourage you. I've called this, this episode, Lesson 16 in our series of called Unshaken When I Really Wanna Quit. How do you stand strong in faith when you really wanna quit? Now, interestingly, Elijah, in some ways, is the least likely person to expect to wanna quit. In fact, we're gonna catch the story in 1 Kings 19, the last lesson that I did with you guys was from 1 Kings 17, and it was a fun lesson, but we miss chapter 18 in the middle. I'm gonna summarize to you what happens in 18 because it is so relevant to seeing his, I don't know what to call it, his, his, his tumble, I guess you could call it, into discouragement. And he literally goes from a high to a low in the breadth of a verse, like it's crazy. And you can go, how, how? Remember that in James, um, God's word tells us that Elijah, in fact, uh, I will read you the verse in James chapter five. It says, Elijah in verse 17 was a man with a nature like ours. Now we always think of this as, well, he, he was a prayer guy like us and he prayed. In fact, the verse goes on to say, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So this verse is often taught to say, guys, Elijah was like us. I mean, it says his nature was like us. And look how he prayed, therefore be encouraged to pray. I think you have to also remember that he had a nature like ours, meaning he was prone to discouragement just like us. Just like we can see God do amazing things and in a split second forget it and tumble into discouragement, we're going to see this man, same thing happens to him but we're gonna see him come out of it. And so I think it's gonna bless you and encourage you because who hasn't thought, man, I'm done. I'm done with all the problems in our country right now. I am done. And if you're watching from Lebanon, you know you've said it too. And, and, and there's a weights and it's like the feeling right now on top of everything, the Louis, uh, Louisiana was hit, Texas was hit with a, the hurricanes and, and they had predicted that it would be a lot worse than it turned out by God's grace. But still, it's like there's what more can happen. People joke on Twitter about it's like a bingo card and like what more can, can we find that is bad? Well, we're not going to quit. We're going to see what God is going to do in this season. We're going to see how he's changing us, transforming us and drawing us to him through our difficulties. Now, irrelevant again back to Elijah so he um, predicts this rain I read it to you from James and so he goes and tells um, the king Ahab who is a very wicked king and his wife is Jezebel and she's a very wicked queen and Elijah speaks this this prophecy and says it's not going to rain for three years and so people are starving God meets Elijah personally in that season he feeds him he 
provides miracle after miracle, and then Elijah sees God raise a boy from the dead. Then Elijah in chapter 18 goes back to Ahab and takes on the idol worshipers and the Baals, the false gods. And there's this amazing story. I'm not teaching on it because it's awesome. And I love teaching on it. I've taught on it live. I'm going to save it from back teaching live. But he literally takes them on and there's this challenge that he lies. And he says, okay, guys, if you are gods, if your gods are real, here's what we're going to do. You're going to build an altar and you're going to pray that your gods, little G, will rain fire from heaven. So we're not going to light it up traditionally like with a, with a lighter thing. We're going to let God, your gods, your little gods, light it up. And so all day, 1 Kings 18, those false gods, the worshipers of the false gods, like, like run around the altar. They cut themselves. They beat themselves. They cry to their God, but their God doesn't listen because their gods are dead. They're not alive. They're not the living God. And so this goes on all day. At the end of the day, Elijah takes 12 stones representing each of the tribes of Judah, of Israel, and he lays them down, repairs the altar, such symbolism there, repairing the altar, going back to first things. Uh, Revelation talks about going back to first things. And so they go back and he prays, and literally it's a quiet, faith-filled prayer, and God brings down fire from heaven. It's awesome. Then you go from there, as if that is not awesome enough. So there's revival brewing in the land. Then you go to... 1 Kings 18, the last six or seven verses where Elijah says to Ahab, the rain is coming. And they look and they don't see anything. They're like, there's no rain. And so they, um, they basically, um, uh, uh, Elijah and his servant have this conversation. And Elijah says to his servant, dude, go up and look at the clouds. And, and, and the servant says, uh, there's nothing in verse 43. So Elijah says to him, go again seven times. And at the seventh times, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. Oh, and by the way, California fires, that reminded me, speaking of the need for rain, uh, again, another problem, right? And so, so here he says, in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. That is where we leave Elijah in chapter 18. God's hand is heavy on him. He's seen fire come down from heaven. He's seen the man come from the dead. And then he sees this rain from a little cloud. Okay, now chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, remember she was the wickedest queen. So may the gods, little g, same gods who couldn't bring fire from heaven, but that's who she threatens with him. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. It says then Here's Elijah, the man of faith, with a nature like ours, who's just seen amazing victories in God. And it says, then he was afraid. So the minute he stopped listening to God, started listening to Jezebel and what she was saying, he sinks, sinks into fear. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. How does a guy go from giant person of faith? And I've heard a million sermons on this. I get it. I get that after the victory, there's a temptation to, to fall. I get all of those things. Fatigue, burnout. We can talk about this till the cloud comes home. But still, you see a guy who literally in one breath sees God raise a man from the dead, bring fire from heaven, and then bring massive rain from a time of famine through a little cloud. And now one woman says one word to him. And the guy is spiraling in fear. You say, how bad did it get? Well, he was afraid. He arose, ran for his life, came to Beersheba. 
and left his servant there. A bad plan. When you're in discouragement, do not isolate yourself from others. Why? Look what happens. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. A broom tree was like this lame tree, small, lame. And he, it reminds me of Jonah sitting under the tree after the revival of Nineveh. And so jo Elijah asked that he might die. He said, I'm done. I'm done. I wish I was dead. He's like, people said he's suicidal. Now, I don't know what, how he meant it, but he's in a bad space. And um, he says, here's what he says to God. This is his prayer. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, you go, well, what happened? This is awesome. This is going to be our first point in, in the teaching. This was all set up. I hope that you now are in the mood of Elijah, whatever it is that you brought tonight. So you see this guy. He's seen God do amazing things. He, tr he has trusted God in his life in the past. One word, one wicked queen, and everything he knows and believes about God is down the drain. He is sunk, whether he's tired, burnt out, living through COVID-19, whatever stress has led him to this point, he's done. And you go, well, what did God do? Well, here we go. Um, and he laid down and slept under a broom tree. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And you say God isn't good. Man, in the middle of his pit, God offers him a meal. Not just any meal. Elijah looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. God doesn't just give him like a wafer. This isn't just like manna every day. He gives him a cake. Now, I don't know about you, but this is pretty cool, you know? And so God gives him a cake. And by the way, God has a habit with Elijah to feed him. Have you noticed that? First, in 1 Kings chapter 17, God fed him with the raven, with the meat, with the bread. Now he feeds him with the cake. It's pretty awesome that we serve a God. Here's the first point when we're talking about unshaken when I really want to quit. Number one, what you need to know when you really want to quit is that God sees you and knows. I think there's such freedom and confidence in knowing that. When you really want to quit, you need to realize and remember that God sees you and knows. This reminds me of Exodus chapter 2. We taught this earlier when we started the Unshaken series. When the people of Israel for 400 years were put in slavery, they were miserable, they were battered, they were tired. And it says in Exodus chapter 2, during those many days, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You might be living in a space right now where you are just like Elijah. Doesn't make sense. You should be encouraged. You should be strong in faith, but you're not. You're, you're tired, you're burnt out, and you are discouraged. And you might feel like God is ready, like you're embarrassed, ashamed to admit to God how bad off you are. Listen, there is no shame. God already sees you. He knows you. God is never unaware of all that is happening to you right now. Whatever trial you're going through, God is not unaware of it. In fact, not only is he not aware of it, he's waiting to feed you with the best cake and he's, got, he's not holding back from you. In other words, he sees your pain and he's ministering to you in the pain. This is what he does. He sends the angel and he's caring for Elijah. In fact, for 40 days, he cares for Elijah. And so God is never unaware of all that you need to replenish right now. And God is never uh, unaware of all that you're struggling with right now. We're gonna see the conversation move. So, 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 
in verse 6, he looked, behold, there was at his head a cake. And then verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. There's such compassion in that sentence. There's such love. There's such tenderness. There isn't a condemnation. There isn't the angel going, Elijah, man, after all these miracles, after all this that you've seen of God, and now you sink in despair, there's not that condemnation. There's a love. There's compassion. There's the arms that undergird this prophet under this is like Jeremiah and underneath are the everlasting arms and we see this so tenderly here in a time when Elijah desperately needed God's love yes he was burnt out yes he was tired yes maybe the spiritual warfare had taken a toll on him but regardless of what he should have acted how he should have acted God understood that this was a man with a nature like ours who needed his Lord. And so God is there for him. And so so he arose, verse eight, to Elijah's credit, he arose and he ate and he drank. And sometimes when someone offers you a piece of cake, you eat it and you thank God for it and you see it as coming to you from the hand of God. And perhaps it is. And so he arose, ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. It's pretty incredible. To Horeb, to the Mount of God. The Mount of God, that's where uh, Moses met God in the burning bush. And, and so much happens at the Mount of God. And, 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 and then he says, the, the verse uh, 9 says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah now, so God preps him. He feeds him. He gives him 40 days, like, relax, you know. Like, Elijah, just take a vacation, and God offers him the season of rest. And, you know, sometimes I think God offers us a season of rest. And rather than receiving it as such, we want to fight him. Some of us, this is our season of rest. Maybe you've been on a treadmill of working for God and working for your family and working for ministries and on and on and on. And now during COVID, you've been given a season where you're not doing what you thought you would be doing. I know that many of you are doing more at home. But, but I do want to talk for some of you who this is your season of rest from things that you used to do. Even I know that working out of the house is a different pace than working in an office. But there is an a sense a season of rest in that you can show up in your sweats you don't have to fix your hair every day I mean there are some things that God has given us a gift in a sense can we see it as such so in this case again 40 days he lets it be think meditate whatever he does and then God comes and now there's a conversation that's going to happen and by the way we're going to lean into this in a minute because in a second Elijah's going to encounter God but do you ever find that it takes at least 40 days to get in a space where you can quiet the noise in your head enough to hear God I find that I can't just show up and hear, and God is sensitive to that, so that rather than asking him this question at the beginning of the 40-day period, God gives him 40 days to unrest, to unwind. And now God says, hey, Elijah, let's talk. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He doesn't mean it physically. He means it emotionally. Elijah, where are we at here? What's happening here? And Elijah says, he, he fesses up, he says, I've been so, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with, that, with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And there's such a spirit of self-pity here. And I don't say it judgmentally, I've been there. I am, I get, I get there. I, I, I know that pit well. And it's like, Elijah's like, I'm the only one who cares about you. Nobody else is doing anything. All I do is serve you, God. I just work, work, work. And I love, love, love. And, and nobody else cares and he's having a pity party and and you say what did God say and so he said God says to him go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold and this is so familiar to many of you who are who have read this passage of scripture and it's beautiful so I, I'm going to drag it out a minute behold the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. A whisper is already low, but the scripture tells us this was a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And God now asks him the same question again. Behold, there came a voice to him. Now this question pierces his heart. It's different. Same words, but Elijah now is even closer to here. He's, he's leaning in. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And now Elijah, I, I have a feeling his tone was different. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, have you ever noticed if somebody whispers to you, you whisper back? If somebody yells, you yell back? So God just takes it down a notch, takes it deeper. It's so interesting. So many of us look for God in the earthquake. We pray for breakthrough. We want to see God bring fire from heaven. We see the magnificent. We go, clearly God is there. And yet it is in the quiet whisperer that we meet God. Isn't that the truth? And so again, Elijah says to him, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left and they seek my life to take it away. We're talking about when I really want to quit. First is a concept that when you need to know, what you need to know when you really want to quit is that God sees you and knows. Secondly, what you really need to hear when you really want to quit is that is the quiet whisper of God's love. It's God's love that whispers to you in the quiet of a cave. It takes a while to get there. We come to God rushed. We give him three minutes of our time and we wonder why we can't hear him. The loudest noise to quiet down, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the loudest noise for us to quiet down is the noise inside our head. It's the noise in our souls. I believe every man and woman watching this, I believe every Christian in existence right now, this is the big fight that we fight every day of our life. It is the fight to spend time with God. It is the fight to turn off other voices. We're so prone to hearing the voice of Jezebel, the voices that tell us that we're not good enough, that, that we're, we're gonna, that the voices that tell us that, that they're coming after us, that we're gonna be hurt and wounded for the things that we believe about God. Instead of listening to the voice of God that is our confidence, that is our peace, that is our rest, we're so tuned in to the voice of the world that we can't quite hear the voice of God. And we, worst part is most of us don't even notice it. Our entire worldview, our entire philosophies are based on what the culture says. And it happens so, so, so quietly. And so, you know, I, I, I thought even in the last few weeks, I've sort of been thinking about, about dating and, and, and relationships. And not, I'm not in any relationship, but sort of been thinking about that. And, and even this notion that the world gives us that we will finally be happy if we meet the one is so ingrained in the Christian brain as an example. Many of you single understand that. You've been told that if you just meet the one, like your life will make more sense. Even that is not a true statement from the Lord. It is God himself who will satisfy us completely. But we're so in tune to the voice of Hollywood and the world and social society and culture. And while marriage is very good in many instances, and again, this is just one simple example that comes to mind, but there's so much about what we believe about life and faith and culture that is founded not in a biblical worldview, but in the culture. But we're so in tune to it that we can't hear the voice of God. 
And we pray and we ask God, God, bring the fire, bring the earthquake. And we have an imagination of what that fire and the earthquake and, and what that, that thunder, that massive movement of God that's going to set us right. When God says, if you could just quiet all the noise in your life for a minute. Are we willing, you and I, to take the time to listen to God that way? The loudest voice that will quiet you down is the quiet whisper of God's love. That's what we see. That's what we encounter. That's what Elijah encountered here. It wasn't just that God whispered. It was the whisper of love. The whisper of love that understood, that sympathized, but that wouldn't let him stay in the place that he was. And so you say, what did God say to him? The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. <laughs> I just love how God does this. I, I, I'm always fascinated by, by how God deals with our pain. See, I want someone in my pain to come and I, I want self-pity feels good. I want someone to tell me, oh yeah, your life has been so hard. You're such a good person. I, I want the Lord, like if I were Elijah in that state, I want God to be like, oh, Lena, I see you're working so hard for me. It's not overlooked. I love you so much. You're awesome. That's what I want in the flesh. But that's not what God does for Elijah, is it? God just picks back up and gets him back on focus. Now, that's not to say there isn't a place where God, there are other stories in scripture where God does hug and settle down. And he's already done it for 40 days, but now he gets him out of his pit and says, okay, there's no pep talk here. God just says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, and he gives him his next job. He says, when you arrive, you will anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. It's a reminder to Elijah that God is in charge still, sovereign, in control. Ah Jezebel and Ahab are not in control. And so even though he doesn't address it directly, there's a clear insinuation. He says, go and anoint Hazael and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. It's like God is not even concerned about Ahab and Jezebel in that moment. They are not focus of his mind God's kingdom is bigger God's plans are wider and God sees past Ahab and Jezebel and in that moment in these instructions it's like he takes the chin of of Elijah and he fixes his eyes off of Jezebel and Ahab and says look these people may be evil today but they're not staying there there's a time not going to be there anymore. And your job now is go anoint the next person. He doesn't say to him, you know, you need to be afraid of Jezebel. You need to hide. You know, you need to defend yourself against the queen. No, she's not even a concern. He gives him his next job. And then he says this, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall anoint to be king. And then he says, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. He says, you're going to go and work on your legacy, Elijah. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. God gives him vision. Elijah, this isn't done. You got work to do. Elisha's waiting. You're going to go disciple him because Elisha's got work to do. And his work depends on your work today. And there's so much said in this instruction. It's time, Elijah, to get up and move on. Your calling is intact. Your relationship with God has, is spared. And while he might have deserved maybe a little, you know, pep talk or a, a little repudiation, like, Elijah, don't do this. Haven't you seen me do that? Do, haven't you seen me bring down fire? Haven't you learned that I am a promise maker and a promise keeper? Why do you keep failing in your faith? Where is your unshaken faith? God doesn't, isn't frazzled. God expects that we are human and that our, fail will fail, our faith will fail sometimes, but, but he doesn't miss a beat. And he says, Elijah, you still got work to do. 
And so in verse 18, he finishes it with a cherry on top. He says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And what God is saying to Elijah is, Elijah, you're not alone. You may feel like you're alone. You may think that you're the only Christian left on this earth, but you're not. There's 7,000 others faithfully standing in the gap, faithfully living, faithfully serving. Right now, you might be watching this and feel like you're the only person in your family, in your neighborhood who really puts their trust in Jesus and is walking by faith. Listen, the minute you start thinking that you're alone in this, you're, you're wrong. There are others everywhere. You might not be in connection with them right now. We're in a bit of a social isolation system still, but they're all over the place. Someday we'll meet them. We'll see clearly. We'll talk about it. Some of you know. I mean, we're here. We recognize there's people on this, on this uh, thing, you know, watching. So we see. We're like, okay, there's at least a few of us here watching. But the truth is they're all over. There's remnant. You want to call them the remnant. You want to call them Christians, the faithful, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they have continued not to bow the knee to idols. There are others. We're not the only ones being encouraged all over the world, in China, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iran, in the United States, in Canada. There are people here watching from Canada, all over the globe. I've been in Africa, in South America. They're all over the world, are men and women who have said, I will follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Biggest lie we will believe is that we're the only one left, that we're some weak group of people that would never listen. It's never been about our strength. The Christian faith has stood the test of time, not because men and women have been strong, but because Jesus has risen from the dead and his resurrection power is in us. And whether we stand faithful or not does not change the truth that Jesus reigns. He is sovereign and in control. I was thinking recently about some people and, and the stress of will they follow Jesus or not, people in my life. And then I, I had this wake-up call and I said to my, my mom, I was talking with her and I said, you know, why do we keep acting as if like we're so lucky that somebody puts their faith in Jesus? Jesus is. He is alive. He is resurrected. He's power. He is so attractive. And so for us to worry, man, are they going to like him? Are they going to like him? Look, he's so much more. You let him market himself. You just point to him. That's our job. Point to him. He is. His church is sustained. It, no one can touch it. Doesn't matter what, who's in political office. It doesn't matter who's president, vice president, Supreme Court, you name it. All these things that humanly we have made like, oh, we're never going to succeed as Christians if, listen, rubbish. Ahab can be king, Jezebel can be queen, and still God reigns. And God had a plan. And his plan looked forward to the coming of Jesus. And his plan now looks forward to the second coming of Jesus. Ours is to point to him. He's so worthy of our praise. And so you say, what did Elijah do? In fact, the third point, when I really want to quit first, remember that God sees you and knows. Number two, uh, the only thing, what you really need is to hear the quiet whisper of God's love. And that will happen in the quiet of your soul. Work towards it intentionally. Give him the time. And thirdly, what you really need to do when you really want to quit is to find somebody to pour into. It's so simple. What got him out of his funk was to go find a person to disciple. That was it. You say, what did Elijah do? In verse 19, he departed from there and found Elisha. He obeyed God. What, did, what is God's commission to us? It's to go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them, baptize them, tell them about the Lord. You go, I don't know where to start. Start with one person. That person can be your son or your daughter. That person can be your brother or your sister. That person can be your next door neighbor. I don't know who that person is. Ask God to show you the one person that he wants you to, Elisha, let's call him. Who's your Elisha? 
You say, man, what did Elijah spend the rest of his life doing? He continued to serve God. In November, I'm teaching, uh, and I decided to teach. I haven't, uh, haven't done it yet. It's coming up, but I have a conference I'm going to by God's grace. It'll be the first conference live. If it happens, it might end up being transferred to online, but I'm going to teach on 2 Kings chapter 1, and it's such a powerful scripture because it is Elijah at his best, serving God, seeing God in his magnificent glory. Nothing has changed except he had one chapter where because he had a nature like ours, he floundered but was held by the loving arms of the Lord. Pouring yourself into someone else will save you if you'll try it. Now, God will save you, I get that, but pouring yourself into others will save you from quitting. Find that person and pour yourself into them. Pouring yourself into someone else is part of your legacy if you'll do it. Pouring yourself into someone else is a gift God gives you because he cares. He cared enough about Elisha. By the way, what was Elisha doing? He was working a field. Do you know that after Elisha was, was, when Elijah went and found Elisha, Elisha burned the plow in the field and left everything behind and started following, you know, in this calling. And, 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 and when Elijah died, the, the senior, I know their names are similar, so sometimes it's hard to keep them apart. But when the senior, Elijah, died, um, right before then, he actually didn't die. He was taken up in a chariot. But when that happened, Elisha, the disciples person, the young man, he said to Elijah, give me, I'm praying he wanted a double portion of the spirit of Elijah and God gave it so that Elisha ended up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah. And Elijah did a lot. He was, Elisha was a prophet. The entire book of 2 Kings is focused on the ministry of Elisha. So how did this happen when Elijah stepped out of himself and heard the voice of the Lord and said yes? He was discouraged, he wanted to quit, but he had an encounter with God that changed everything around. You might be that person today, like Elijah. You've seen God in the highs, and now you're in a low, and you're wondering, now what? Well, listen, first of all, God loves you. He sees you, he's ministering to you, he's feeding you. Maybe this message is his cake to you. And, 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 and now, it's yours to lean in, well, however long it takes you, to hear the voice of God in your, in your life. You go, how? Don't stop looking for the thunderstorms and start quieting your life to hear his whisper of love. And you do it as you open these pages in your own life, day after day, and you seek him. A good place to spend is the Psalms. Read a Psalm a day. Start at the beginning of a month. We're going to be hitting September 1st in four days. Start with Psalm 1. On September 2nd, start with Psalm 2, Psalm 3, Psalm 4. Finish the first month, second month. It's easy. Learn to worship God again. Listen to his voice speak over you. And thirdly, start asking God, God, who's my Elisha? Get out of yourself. Stop focusing on yourself. Find a person and pour into them. The temptation, and I understand it, is for us to say, but what about me? What if I need pouring into? You let God pour into you, and I promise you, you'll find what you need to pour into the next person in your life. And so let that be our challenge for today. Let us ask God for every one of us. God, help us find our Elisha. Maybe you already have a person in your face, in your mind's eye. Somebody God has put in your life who desperately needs and longs to be brought up in the faith. Maybe that's your legacy. Maybe your greatest work isn't what you're going to do for God, but what that person will accomplish for God. God is so good. He doesn't make mistakes. He has us here in a space for a reason. We're not in 2020 accidentally. COVID did not take God by surprise. The elections of 2020 have not taken God by surprise. The scandals that we see, the riots that we watch, the, the, all these things have not taken God by surprise. 
And while our temptation is to buckle in discouragement and in despair and wonder what in the world is happening to the church today, God sees, God knows, God has a plan, and God miraculously wants to use you and me to accomplish his plan. So are you willing to do it? And so let us pray for that Elisha in your life and let us go looking for them and God will put them in your face, I promise you. So let us move into a time of prayer. I think we're, um, we've kind of finished in this chapter here. And next time we're gonna be actually talking about Elisha um, and see him do some of his own battle for the Lord. And I think you're gonna enjoy next week's teaching. But for now, um, let us let us pray that God would do those things that we're, we're hearing about, that God would answer the, the cries of our heart to, to be encouraged, to, to be strong in faith, even when we want to quit. It's, um, you know, God gave us this passage of scripture for a reason. And I, I love that. I love that the word of God does not hide the difficult passages, the difficult spaces, the difficult chapters in life, but, but blesses us with them uh, to encourage us and to remind us that we are just like Elijah. In fact, that's what he says in James. And he's and he uses that as an example to say, just like Elijah prayed and saw God move, so can you and me do the same. And so there's no difference. The same God is at work in us and through us. And so let us expect God to show up in mighty ways in our lives. Any questions come into, uh, come into play here, uh, Diana? Anything that I missed that might be... Diana is here in my house, but she makes herself scarce in the other room. It's gotten, you know, you know the days are getting shorter. It used to be light after teaching and now it's starting to get dusk. So we're moving into fall. We'll be in September, I think, the next time we're together, which is pretty crazy. And um, any, start putting some prayer requests up while we do that. Marlena, how is your nephew doing? Go on. What's the question? What if you're, in, you kind of answered it. What if you're in a low and can't pour into others right now? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we hit on it a little and I think, uh, I, I think follow the model. If you're in a low, the question is, what if you're in a low and can't pour into someone? First of all, understand that Elijah was in a low when he started pouring into Elisha, okay? So, so sometimes our thought of what is low and high limits us. So don't let a belief that you're in a low limit you from serving and giving yourself to others. But remember, God gave Elijah a 40-day break. And so whatever that translates, I'm not saying you need 40 days. On day 39, you got to be snapped out of this zone. I mean, and, I, and I'm not, I don't think this chapter is about people have used it to talk about clinical depression and on and on. I'm not, this isn't even where we're going here. So I would say, first of all, uh, God is pouring into you even in a session. The fact that you're asking that question, you're putting yourself in spaces where you can be encouraged, be, get your eyes focused back on how God works. The best thing you can doing this time is just let God feed you. Let God feed you however long it takes. For Elijah, it was 40 days. That is a symbolic number. And so you'll know when God, God didn't tell him to go find Elisha on day one of the journey. He waited till day 40 of the journey, right? And he spoke to him. There was a clear intervention where Elijah heard God say, go get Elisha. So, so God will meet you. You'll know when it's time, but let's be asking and looking for that. And let's expect God to speak. And so you say, how do we do it? Quiet down all the other voices. Start by doing simple things. Build in time in your life. Make that a priority. Don't turn to the phone. Don't turn to another. Even don't turn to another sermon. Open the word of God and let God minister to you. It might take you 40 days to hear him, but I promise you, you will not open the word of God, quiet down your soul and ask him sincerely, God, there's a lot of noise. Even tell him that. God, there's a lot of noise in my brain. I can't shut it. I, I struggle with that sometimes. And I have to tell God, God, I don't know how to quiet down the noise, but I know I need you. And sometimes that's all I get out. But day after day, something, it's not, we don't have to get to that space. This is, the, this is I think there's, some, there's a part of 
Christianity that we think there's some magic formula. If I say the right words, it'll happen. I think we take God of the, out of the equation when we do that. There is a living God. When we say to him, God, I want to hear you, remember, he's on the other side of that. He wants to speak into you too. So you're, you're not doing this on your own. It's not like, oh, if I do the six you know, laps around the building, then God is going to... No, you don't have to do anything. Let God minister to you. How that unfolds might look a little different in my life versus yours, but it starts by saying, okay, God, I'm here. You wake up in the morning, you open the Word, and you make it a priority again. And I've had to do that in my life. My job is as such that when I first open my eyes, I can take my phone and start seeing patients. And I've had to wrestle for time with God again in the morning. It is a holy time. However you do it, does it have to be in the morning? No, you could say it doesn't have to be in the morning, but I promise you, having lived with being a morning Bible reader and then saying I can do it later in the day, it doesn't happen later in the day. You just get too busy. And so if you want to spend time with God, do it in the morning. It's going to be a holy time and it starts there. That's all I, I would just ask you for now. Just do that. Just, just get into his presence. Set your time, 15 minutes in the morning. I promise you something divine will happen when you start doing that.